Nancy Guthrie lives with her husband and son in Nashville, Tennessee. She writes about their infant daughter, Hope, who in her second day of life was found to have numerous small problems that pointed to a larger problem. She says the geneticist told us Hope had a rare disorder called Zellweger syndrome. He explained that her systems would slowly become toxic and shut down. Most children with this disorder live less than six months, he said. Nancy thought, this is my fault. I didn't pray enough for a healthy baby. She said, my first reaction was to conclude this curse was the result of my prayerlessness while Hope was in the womb. I had some prayer guides for praying for my forming child, but I didn't use them much. When we learned of her condition, I began to think I was paying the price. In the days and weeks that followed, we found ourselves praying together often in bed in the dark. We were profoundly aware of our utter dependence upon God. We were powerless to change our situation and desperate to see God work. We also found as time wore on that we prayed less often. We felt guilty that so many people were praying for us so diligently and we were so prayerless. Yet it was difficult to know how to pray. How do you pray for a child that is going to die? The secretary from the church called and told me that we were on the church's prayer list and that they were asking people to pray for God to work a miracle and heal hope. I told her, that is not how we feel led to pray. We did not ask God for healing. Maybe we were afraid to pray that or to expect it when the diagnosis seemed so grim and so sure. One day after Hope's diagnosis had been public for a week or so, our nine-year-old son, Matt, hopped into the car after school and immediately asked me, Mom, is there any chance Hope might live? I knew why he was asking. The class prays at the end of each day, and I'm sure that many of the children were asking God to heal Hope. It left Matt confused. Should he be expecting God to do that or not? I told him God can do anything, but he might choose to heal her by making her perfect in heaven. And whether she was here with us, here with us or in heaven with him, she was in God's hands. And I read that and I thought, there's a few questions, some difficulties surface. Was Nancy cursed by God because she did not pray enough while she was pregnant? Did God send Zellweger syndrome on her baby to punish her for not praying. Nancy wondered if it was right to even pray for healing for the child after they uh, found out that she had this syndrome. And, and she thought it was not God's will to pray for healing, or maybe it was futile. How should we pray in the midst of crisis? Mark 14 is where we're at, and Jesus is in Gethsemane. Jesus knows that his hour has come. He will soon be given over to the hands of his enemies. One commentator says that Mark's Gethsemane scene is the darkest of the four Gospels, boldly presenting Jesus in his raw emotion. And throughout Mark's Gospel, we've seen so far Jesus has been tested on a number of bases, and so far he has persevered on the path that God has for him. He survived the testing in the wilderness. He survived the test of his enemies. He survived the test of his own family. He survived the test of his disciples, who were always slow to understand and just kind of belligerent at times. But now in Gethsemane, this is the ultimate test, 1432. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? 
Couldn't you keep it? Watch for one hour. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Like the disciples, I find that praying at night is the worst time to pray. I'm laying in bed and say, Dear Father in heaven, and then I'm snoring about four seconds into the prayer. And the text says their eyes were heavy. Of course they were. They're tired. It's been a long day. But we know there's more to this than just fatigue. Jesus was tired too. He had a long day. There are some other reasons the disciples sleep rather than pray, some, some reasons that they fail to pray, and I think these are the same reasons for us. Like the disciples, we fail to pray because we underestimate the trial. We often do not pray because we're unaware that we're in this great battle, and we don't see the great roaring lion called the devil who's seeking, roaring around seeking who he can devour, and we underestimate the enemy and the forces around us, especially when life is good. We get lax and we drop our guard. The disciples have been warned that severe testing was going to come. In chapter 13, Jesus implores them to stay alert and stay awake, and yet they're spiritually groggy. In our text, he tells them to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. Now, all through Mark, we've seen the disciples are blind. They don't understand a lot of things about the kingdom. They don't understand the trials that are part of following Jesus. They don't really understand what Jesus is really all about. And because their eyes are blind, now their eyes are heavy. And we often do not pray because we just don't see. We're blind to the enemy. We're blind to the forces around us. And we underestimate those forces. Second reason for sleepiness and lack of prayer is we overestimate ourselves. Every one of the disciples said, we will not fall away. We will hold up when the test comes. And, and they honestly thought that they were strong enough. And Jesus warned them, yeah, your spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. The American church has often been referred to as a sleeping giant. We have a lot of believers, a lot of money and nice buildings and talented, gifted people, good leaders, but still relatively low power, at least compared to other churches in the world. And someone described our churches like huge launching pads with impressive numbers and buildings and programs, and people say, wow, but the launching pads don't send up huge rockets, they send up firecrackers. There's just not much power, probably because we overestimate the value of buildings and numbers and money and, and our own abilities and ingenuity, and we can do it. No, we can't. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim finds three men fast asleep. The name of the first was Simple, the second was Sloth, and the third's name was Presumption. Pilgrim wakes them up, and Simple says, I see no danger. Sloth wakes up and said, yet a little more sleep. And Presumption said, I can make it on my own. That's just like the disciples. I see no danger. They underestimate the enemy. Or I can make it on my own, and we overestimate ourselves. Don't do either one. We need God's strength. If you don't think you need God's strength and help, it's the height of arrogance. Parents, you cannot give your kids what they need on your own. And older people, you're going to face the challenges of aging. Don't do it on your own. Don't overestimate your own abilities. And then a third reason for sleepiness and prayer is we just get tired. 
Back in Mark 13, Jesus warns them of persecution and false teachers and trials. He tells them to stay awake and persevere and endure, and that's all fine and good. But you just get tired going on day after day, and life goes on, and, and you don't get ahead, and things aren't much better, and you just lose your zeal, and, and you just kind of poop out. You remember, I don't know if they make these socks not anymore or not, but they have had socks of 80% of Orlon, high bulk Orlon, and 20% nylon. And the 20% nylon was the webbing that would hold the high bulk Orlon in place. And the Orlon was makes them nice and soft and they look good and they're comfortable. Nylon is what gave them the strength. And eventually the Orlon in the toes and the heels would, would tend to wear away. And you, you hardly ever got a hole in the sock, but the material got very thin. And so you could, even, you could see through it. And because the nylon is still there, it would hold it together, but the sock becomes pretty ugly over time. Well, spiritual endurance is, is like that nylon webbing in a sock. Everything else around may go, but it's still there just holding that sock together. And it might be ugly, but, but that's the only strength there is. And sometimes prayer is just a matter of endurance, and it can get thin, and it can get ugly, and just, it's just held together by our endurance. Persevere. Now, my focus today, though, is not these disciples and their weakness, although I think that's instructive when we see them. But I want to look at Jesus' prayer for a little bit here because this is one of the few places in the Bible where we have a glimpse into Jesus' private prayer life, and specifically his prayer in a time of crisis. Now, we all go through crisis. Most of you have been through a crisis already. You're going to go through some more in your lifetime. And how, when we go through these things, how do we pray? And I want Jesus to be a model as we look at him as he prays in his time of crisis, and how should we pray? How should Nancy Guthrie have prayed when her baby had Zellweger syndrome? Is it okay to pray for healing? So let's look at Jesus. First thing he does, he says, Abba, Father. Abba was just a way of a little child addressing his dad. It'd be like saying daddy or papa. And it conveys intimacy and confidence in God's nearness and loving care. Now, if someone got up here on Sunday morning and said, our daddy in heaven, or hey, pops, you know, that, that would just not probably go over real well, think of disrespectful. But that's really what God, Jesus is praying here. It's a prayer of total trust. So like Jesus, in the midst of crisis, we can pray trusting God. Nancy Guthrie said when the first night after they received the news about Hope's condition, she said, after my husband David and I were left alone in the pain of the news, we lay in bed and out of our fear and despair cried out to God. We said, we need you. We need courage. We need wisdom. We trust you. And then she said, I think we express trust more out of a desire to trust than a confession of the reality in our souls. They prayed to God, God, we trust you, but they weren't really sure if they really did. Deep down, I think they did. And we are God's children, and as we pray in this time of crisis, we can trust God. If a little boy, your little boy, little daughter comes to you with a splinter in his finger and it hurts, that splinter becomes your concern. And we pray to this Heavenly Father knowing that our concerns will be His concerns. He hurts with us. He we can trust him. Now, Mark uses some unusually strong language to describe Jesus' emotions here. It says, deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The phrase overwhelmed with sorrow literally means surrounded with sorrow. He was engulfed in it. And he fulfills Psalm 55 where he says, my heart is in anguish within me. The tears of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. Now, all of us at some time could pray that kind of a psalm about sorrow and horror and fear. But in the midst of crisis, we can pray honestly. 
Jesus is just honest about his emotions. Hebrews said he offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. Someone once called these primal scream prayers. The deepest emotions come bursting out to God. And in Psalms, we see people venting their anger over this evil in the world or maybe injustice or anger over what someone did to them. And our instincts tell us, you know, when we pray, we should clean up our prayers and make them more presentable. And it seems disrespectful to be angry when we're praying. And yet in the Bible, that's not the case. We're invited to bring our feelings, our honest feelings to God. The Psalms are full of laments, lamenting the situation, lamenting what's going on in the world or in my life. And the laments are not always polite. And they're not even controlled. If you read Job sometimes, he just rails out at God for things that are going on. He questions God. And I'll be honest, I've shouted at God. I know many of you have. I've yelled at him. Psalms of lament, just lamenting what's going on. Life stinks right now. Psalm 13 says, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? There's times I tell God, I don't really want to pray. I don't like you very much right now. You can be honest. God can handle it. He's big enough. In times of crisis, prayer will be a struggle. Jesus struggles over whether to choose God's way rather than the easier way. And we see here in Gethsemane, maybe probably more than anywhere else in the Bible, his human side versus his divine side, this conflict between spirit and flesh. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. We could paraphrase this, Jesus saying, you know, part of me is eager and ready for anything, but another part of me is scared or maybe even selfish. Many scholars will tell you that the battle in Jesus was not fought and won on the cross. The battle within Jesus was fought and won right here in this text in Gethsemane. Is it God's will or is it going to be my will? And by the time Jesus got to the cross, the battle within him had already been won. And when we face crisis, there's going to be some struggles. Nancy Guthrie, obviously she struggled, had a hard time trusting, had a time even praying. She didn't know what to pray or how to pray. And sometimes you just have to tell God the truth. I don't know what to do, God. I I don't know how to pray. I don't even know if I want to pray. But we also petition God. In times of crisis, Jesus asked God to change the circumstances. He petitions him, might there be another way? Might there be a way to escape this horrifying death? He knows that God could intervene and change his destiny. So asking God to change circumstances is okay. I mentioned before uh, the difference between American prayers and third world prayers. We in America tend to pray for protection and healing. We want to avoid trial. We want deliverance. In third world countries, they pray more for perseverance and resolve and strength and boldness. They don't pray so much for the trial to go away, probably because there's not much hope it will go away. They just live with it. It's part of their reality. And Nancy Guthrie was the same way. She didn't feel led to pray for hope's healing. She sensed it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't God's will. She said on Christmas Day, we took Hope back to the hospital and visited with her doctor and nurses And there they heard about another birth that happened just recently in the hospital. The nurses had been amazed by the joy and peace with which this other mother had accepted her severely disabled child. And Nancy said, what struck me most was her description of how these parents prayed. Early in the pregnancy, instead of praying, God, give us a healthy baby, they prayed, God, give us the child you want us to have. She said, their submission to God amazed me and their prayer pierced my heart 
Surely that is the kind of prayer our Father desires to hear. Not, give me what I want, but give me what you want me to have. Is it okay to pray for the child to go go away? Is it okay for an expectant mother to pray for their baby to be healthy? Or should she ask for the baby God wants her to have? Both are biblical. We can pray both ways. We can pray for healing or for the child to pass. It's very biblical. In fact, when we don't petition God, it can be a sign of lack of faith or lack of our dependence on Him. Petitionary prayer is not necessarily selfish. It can be, but not necessarily. There are some things God wants us to ask for. He wants to hear our heart. He wants to hear our desires. He wants us to be honest. But the other side of this is in times of crisis, we pray in submission. Not my will, but yours. One of the implications of the Father of God, God being our Father, is that we are His children and we are obedient to Him. Richard Foster calls this the prayer of relinquishment. I relinquish my desires, my hopes, and my dreams. Not my will, as Jesus prayed, but yours be done. Nancy Guthrie, during her pregnancy with hope, tells about she sat in a Sunday school class and the lesson was on submission. And the leader asked the question, what is God calling you to submit to? And Nancy said, I knew God was calling me to submit to the journey we faced with hope, not to fight it or to cry out asking him to change it, but to submit to his plan and his purposes. So Nancy Guthrie prayed in submission, knowing that her child would probably not be healed. Jesus' prayer was not answered as the human Jesus wished. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he submitted and power has been flowing through that cross ever since. And we, may not, and we may not want a certain thing. We may not want to submit, but he's our father. And when we do relinquish our will to his, power will flow through our lives just as it did with Jesus. So, number six, some prayer will go on unanswered. In Gethsemane, Jesus meets the silence of heaven. There is no reassuring voice from above like was his baptism. There's no dove ascending. There's no ministering angels that came to him while he was in the wilderness. A lot of the earlier tests, God provided something, God, something happened, but here, God is silent. Unanswered prayer is really a misnomer. We know that God answers prayer. Sometimes it's not, just not with a yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says later. Sometimes, he's, sometimes I think he's waiting to see if we're really serious. Are you really serious about this request? But here he says no to his only son. I uh, ran across this poem by the Confederate soldier, He says, I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything that I'd hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. Nancy Guthrie concludes her article with these words. Hope spent 199 days with us, and then God gave her ultimate healing. I cannot say my experience with hope had taught me everything I need to know about prayer, I still feel like a prayer when it comes to prayer because I'm often so prayerless. But I think I've come to a fuller understanding of what it means to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to pray a prayer with me. It's on the screen. We're going to have it on the screen. 
I think you will recognize this prayer. Would you pray this with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Will you stand with us as we continue our worship together this morning? Let's sing it out. My hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest train, but holy trust. Oh 
normal normal Friday after work right it's Friday woo, and we get a we got a date night so I was like yeah we're looking forward to it and I got home and we started getting ready to go and Amy comes in and, and tells me something she says do you know so-and-so one of Josh's uh, classmates I said yeah yeah I, I know she continues to tell me about his sister who was expecting a child and she tells me that when she went in for one of her ultrasounds that they found some issues, some problems. Kidney issues, lung issues. And Friday, this young woman gave birth to this little baby girl. They put her in her little, little, what do you call it? I don't have any girls, so I don't know what it's called. A little headband, right? A little sparkling headband, a little cute dress. They named her Paisley. Took a picture hour later they said goodbye and, and I think as Amy was telling me both of us you know I'm not an overly emotional guy I'm pretty even keeled but I think both of us just kind of because oh. we'd been there see Josh our oldest we got similar news when he was still in the womb something not right something wrong with his kidneys as a matter of fact he doesn't have a kidney and his other one is having problems. I am sure that this young lady, when she found out the news, did the same thing that Amy and I did for months. Cried out to God, a simple, selfish prayer. Save my baby. Night and day. Save our baby. Josh celebrated his 16th birthday last week. And we started asking ourselves the reverse why question. Why us? Why did God save our baby and not this little girl? The answer, we don't know. We don't know. Is it because we prayed some magical prayer better than she did? And the answer is no. Do we have more faith than she does? The answer is no. No. 